Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reed podcast. Today's guest is a quarter life crisis coach from originally from London, now residing in Ireland. Her name is Katie Mason. Welcome to the show, Katie. How are you doing? Uh, hi, Christian. Yeah, I'm doing well. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. I've got to just jump straight into to this. Uh, <laughs> what is a quarter life crisis? <clears throat> yeah, so when I first started uh, thinking of, of becoming a quarter life crisis coach, when I was kind of heading in that direction, it was something I assumed a lot of people in their kind of 20s knew what it was. But it turns out, as I'm finding out, it's uh, less well known than I thought. So a quarter life crisis pretty much comes down to uh, feeling like you don't know what the purpose of your life is. You don't really know where your life is going. You're worried that, oh God, is this it? Like this starting out of adult life period, which is often very difficult and confusing. Um, people are worried, oh, is this what adult life is always going to be like? And yeah, it, it usually occurs kind of in your in your 20s. Um, for some people, it can kind of crop up very soon after their first job, especially if it's a job that they're realizing they're not enjoying at all. For some people, it comes a bit later, maybe when they've worked up to a certain level of success and they expected that once they reach that success, they'd be happy. And now they're realizing, oh, I, I'm still not happy. Okay, what now? Um, yeah so so it's a it's the kind of crisis around yeah is this life is this all life is and um and that real frustration and confusion around that thanks for answering um i did so i always do my research heavily on my guests before i actually get into it um but i like to get my guests kind of take on things or in their own words etc um but you know i, I confess I, I looked into it as well and i was like why is this why is it because I, I obviously everyone knows what um midlife crisis is and we'll get into that in a second but um i was like is this a thing is this just a a, a kind of a a phrase you've coined which is kind of cool because i thought it's brilliant as soon as i heard it, i was like that's that's an interesting concept and then i started looking into it and based on what you've just outlined there it's just like Oh, okay. So it's something we probably had like, I mean, I've had it several times in my 20s. Um, I'm nearly at the end now. It's, <laughs> that sounds ominous. Uh, 29 years old. And I could probably say I've had at least two or three of those in, in my 20s. Um, and you know, it's interesting as well, just this idea of um, being disillusioned by things or not knowing what uh, what one is doing. Like, for example, my first major one, I would say, was when I was at uni in second year university. And yeah, it's just quite common for people to feel like they want to drop out when you're at university, you know, especially when you, <laughs> you just go this work and you're just like, oh, what am I doing? But as the life goes on and um, at university, you do kind of realize that the whole thing is kind of... <clears throat> for a majority of degrees, and I've said this before on the show, so it's not that controversial, but for a majority of degrees, it is this whole business thing constructed to just kind of take your money. You know, don't get me wrong. There are many fields where it's absolutely necessary, like becoming a lawyer, becoming a doctor, etc. And I, I do actually still think there's a lot of value in it. But um, my personal experience was I didn't 
the things I got out of university weren't so much to do with the actual subjects themselves. It was more to do with like networking, the experience, people, stuff like that, people I met, etc. Um, but to get to the point, I remember there was a one particular lesson I, I had with this teacher and I was being very flippant for no apparent reason because he was a really nice guy. I was just in a disillusioned state and I was like, well, why are we even here? What's the point? And he's just like, well, you don't have to be here. And I sort of sat there thinking like, no, I don't. I could just leave. I feel like that's a bad idea. And ultimately I chose to stay because I'm quite stubborn and I don't like to not finish things I've started. I mean, you know, it's hard for me to give up on things in life, especially something like that, where you put so much time and effort into it. And then you're kind of like, oh, what am I doing? Right. But there was that moment where I was just like, oh, this is pointless. There's, there's no reason for this. What, what am I doing? What's the meaning of all of this? And it was also like a kind of a somewhat existential moment as well. It was like in, in general, in life, this, what is the point of this? And after I got the degree and, and we moved on and everything, it was actually fine for a few years. Um, you know, I got into the field I studied, which was marketing and everything was great for like eight to 10 months. And then the next quarter life crisis, same thing, sat down at a desk. And that was even more frustrating because I looked at it and I was like, you know, I worked many years in customer services. I did things I didn't want to do. Now I'm in by all intents and purposes, the thing I signed up for, the thing I wanted to do, but I'm not happy. Why am I not happy? And obviously it was because I was not pursuing the things I'm pursuing now, which is creative endeavors, so acting, music, podcasting, etc. But I didn't know that then because I knew I'd given up on dreams years ago, but I just was thinking, well, you know, I'm an adult now, you know, you got to grow up and can't be chasing these pipe dreams. And then, but then there's that moment where you're like, well, actually, maybe you should be chasing those dreams. Maybe if you're not chasing those dreams, there's an inherent problem. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why people find themselves in quarter life crises and especially midlife crises. Like when I heard about this, this quarter life crisis concept, I feel like if that happens several times in your life and you, and you ignore it every single time, then when you get to the point where you're having a midlife crisis, it's like, I don't want to say like completely your fault because I don't always think that's the case, but it's like you've had many warnings and you've let it get to that point. And obviously, as we know, midlife crisis is a little bit different. It's more like a, you get to a certain age, maybe 40s, 50s, and you feel like you've not really explored the possibilities of what you could have done in your younger years, you know, like you. And then obviously there's all the jokes like, oh, I'm going to go out and buy a motorbike or I'm going to suddenly go traveling. And I still think people should do those things, but it's this idea that, you know, you've not lived enough maybe um and maybe that's pressure from other people maybe that's internal pressure whatever but um to me this seems like the, the beginning of that like this is like the the journey to that perhaps but um i'm interested like do, for you did you where was the point where you started experiencing that because obviously the things that we end up studying are then they come from somewhere it's always like personal experience so for, for you what was your quarter life crisis moment so i would also say i've, I've had kind of two crises um and I, i'm 27 so again nearing the end of my 20s uh slowly but um the first real crisis and, and the bigger one came 
came after I started working my first proper kind of real job. Um, yeah, so I studied a thing called actuarial science at university, which directly leads into the career path of being an actuary, which is somebody who kind of works out pension um, payments and payouts and insurance and, and a lot of statistics and stuff like that. And during the course of the degree, realized it was much too hard and um, I wasn't enjoying it and I didn't want to go into finance and the people that I was studying alongside weren't really like me and yeah the idea of then going into um, a finance company was was just yeah terrifying to me so I figured out at least that I didn't want to do that and when I graduated I went traveling for a few months which mm. is something that I knew I had wanted to do for a long time anyway so it wasn't like a last minute um, panic kind of decision but it was um, yeah, I was supposed to be kind of taking some time to figure out maybe what I did want to do. And when I got back to London, I um, joined up with my boyfriend who had waited for me back in the UK while I was traveling for about four months. And yeah, he, he really put the pressure on to, to get a job, you know, um, which, you know, fair enough. Fair enough. He we're like, we're like, pay, pay the bills, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of a thing. He was... Okay. He was keen to to move in together and find a place and, and uh, kind of okay. start yeah. start our start our kind of proper life together post studying. Um, yeah, so I had no idea what I really wanted to do. Got in touch with a few recruiters. Um, they put me on the path of, of marketing. Actually, is the same same as what you ended up in. Um, because I was basically looking for something where there was some maths and stats involved, but very quite simple. Not, not anywhere near the level that I had been studying at. So I got into marketing and the company was lovely. It was a really small company with a really nice culture, really laid back, um, really nice training program to start with. So I was kind of feeling okay for, for a while, kind of, yeah, quickly, very quickly found that job, luckily, um, started straight away, started the training. It was all going quite quickly and, and things were looking okay. And then, when the kind of training period ended and I was like settling into the role, then I was really like, oh, like what have, like how did I actually end up here? Like I'm in marketing. I like never even considered that. Um, I was, yeah, I didn't have any goals or any plans for my future. I, my, my plan always ended at graduate, go traveling, become an actuary. And, and now I, I'd done those things, but I wasn't an actuary and I was very, very confused and very like, I was kind of freaking out. I remember I had a conversation with my mom of like, I don't know what I'm doing, mom. Like, I feel weird. Like, I felt very, very strange and very uncomfortable. And yeah, I just wasn't really in a good place. And that's when I kind of started getting into personal development a little bit. So um, got interested in that. and. I'm very, very slowly started making changes and becoming more self-aware of who I was and what I wanted. And um, yeah, slowly kind of edged towards something that felt a bit more like me in my life. Um, but, but yeah, I had a bit of a second crisis after I quit that um, job in marketing three years later, went traveling um, again to, to India and, and still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had the idea of going into into charity work or that kind of stuff but the conversations I was having with people who were in that sector 
kind of put me off they were saying kind of if it's a small charity it can be very overwhelming and the workload is huge because they're yeah everyone is overworked in, in small charities but then you feel like you're making a difference or if you go into a big charity it's uh it's much more corporate and it's kind of like a, a regular company and you don't really feel like you're making a direct benefit so i was kind of like oh i don't know and then yeah kind of throughout the travels was uh locked down in india for a while with a lot of time to think and, and still no solutions and feeling uh worried and then a period of about a year where i was cycling around europe with uh the guy that i met in india and trying out a lot of different things through through a website called Workway, where there's lots of hosts um, looking for volunteers. And yeah, had a, a few really interesting experiences on a sheep farm and on a uh, organic vegetable farm and helping out at a B&B and, and a bunch of different things, which kind of pointed me more in the direction of like, maybe you actually like the countryside and maybe you actually do like talking to people more than you thought and, and, and stuff like this. So that was kind of my second crisis trying to figure it out. And then eventually ended up, yeah, where I am, hopefully trying to help some other people figure their way out of, out of the crisis. It's interesting as I was, as I was listening to you speak there, um, obviously you've had varied experiences. You've, you've experienced a lot done a lot and kind of as i was listening i was kind of thinking about this this concept of the idea that there has to be sort of i suppose rules in how you live your life like uh, earlier in, in my podcast i don't know maybe about a year ago or so i did an episode on um polymathy and multi-potentiality um for those who don't know it's basically just people that have interests or maybe jobs in lots of lots of different fields at one time and the key thing that one of the key themes I explored in that was this idea that many people like specialists like they focus on one field and that field alone and when you think about it it's quite a 1950s kind of nuclear mindset of like oh well I get a job and I work for 60 or 50 years and retire and it's like yeah that worked maybe in the 50s but like the world has changed life is different everything's different I mean most companies these days people don't tend to they tend to be in the company between six months to a year total the absolute maximum but probably even shorter than that point is you know there's this expectation to stay in a field or to rise up in the ranks of a company or whatever the case may be but i don't hear a lot of people necessarily turning around and saying hmm maybe life is supposed to be like a kind of a revolving door and you just try a lot of different things and you don't have to stick to one thing you know right now you're a quarter life quote quarter life crisis coach and you're helping people who've had a similar thing that might be the thing you do for the rest of your life and that's a awesome thing to do and it's it comes from a, a place of experience so it's perfect but it might not be the only thing you do you might do other things in life you know it's hard to say um when i look at my life i've, I've you know i've worked in customer services i've worked in marketing i've worked in sales recruitment um i've done acting i've done various different things and the one thing that links everything is this idea of if you keep yourself open to opportunities, then it can kind of throw you in different places. And I'm always trying to look for 
the sort of the key that links everything. So for me in my life, it's, it's creativity. I know that I need to do creative things in order to be happy, especially performing or talking or or whatever the case may be for yourself. It's interesting because it's like this idea that through your experiences, you're able to offer people advice and even being able to offer people advice is a skill in of itself like being able to deliver that information being able to steer people in that in that right direction how when, when you actually looked into this and, and wanted to become a quarter life crisis coach like what, what kind of key things did you have to learn in order to essentially teach people or coach people yeah so firstly i just want to say that i didn't uh kind of have a clear idea that i was going to be a quarter life crisis coach Um, I started off just exploring the idea of life coaching. Mm. Um, So I I took an online course in that and was really interested. But yeah, when I started the course, I was kind of like, oh, well, it could lead to something. But this course seems interesting and it looks like I'm going to learn some skills regardless of if I end up deciding to pursue it as a career or not. Um, And and through that course, yeah, it it was much more about taking me through the process of kind of being coached and looking at my own values and looking at what I want from life and looking at my limiting beliefs and it kind of guides you through the process um, yourself so that you are kind of clear on what you actually want and then it helps you to then take other people through the through the process Um, and another big thing is obviously like active listening empathic listening yeah not um not putting our own thoughts and judgments on other people and mm. also not actually giving advice so coaching is, is not at all about advice giving it's about guiding people to answer their own questions and find their own truth and yeah figure out what what they want and who they are so i wouldn't tell someone in a session what they should be doing or what they should be exploring but i'm just trying to kind of provoke them to ignite their curiosity and yeah explore and and pursue different things would have um, been oh sorry go on. no no go on oh all i was gonna follow up with was um what have been your biggest success cases with regards to um quarter life crisis coaching yeah so i'm i'm still pretty new so i completed the course at the very end of last year and then since the beginning of this year have really been working on setting up a business which is completely new to me and completely something that I actually never wanted to do if you'd have spoken to me at any point before kind of six months to a year ago I really would have said I never want to run my own business I actually never want to be self-employed so yeah there was a a lot of work in in setting up a website and, and getting used to the idea of that and I just recently created the um crisis to curiosity program that that when I decided okay life coaching is great but it's very broad how am I going to attract people what what are the areas that I actually have the most expertise on I guess um and I settled on quarter life crisis as being something that that I thought was really useful to to focus on um so I created the program and I've got a couple of people working through it for the first time now and um and yeah, I've, I've got one girl going through it who, who's in her mid-twenties and, and was feeling like she'd got her dream job. She was actually, she's also in marketing. Um, 
she got her dream job but she felt like the other areas of her life were lacking and mm. she was um yeah she wasn't feeling so good about where she was overall even though that she'd considered um the job that she had to be her kind of dream job and yeah we're five weeks into the program now and um yeah she's already she's already really seeing the benefits of making small changes which is what i encourage people to do um, the, the final week is about planning for the long term but you know through those first five weeks it's the big focus on small changes habit changes opening your mind to okay you you're in this current routine but you know are there any ways that you can change that routine that will make you happier um so she's she's really been enjoying the program and it seems like she's already got a lot from it something in there that you said at the beginning was very interesting to me you said that you never wanted to set up your own business how long did you fight against that concept it just was something that i had never even considered mm. um the reason that i that i didn't want to set up my own business mainly is because i'd seen my mom struggle and fail at, at kind of two businesses um, oh, really? so so my grandparents owned news agents and they were quite successful in that and they i guess eventually convinced my mom to go down the same path and um yeah she she got a news agent with with my stepdad and they they went into it with three well two kids when they started and soon after three kids um and and it's very very long hours it's very demanding mm. you know they were waking up at 4 a.m 5 a.m to prepare the newspaper rounds and then they would be working until until 6 p.m um you know serving seven customers in the news agent and that would be monday to saturday and then sunday it would be until 12 so they'd have sunday afternoons off um, and that was that. And Jeez, really? Were, every week? Yeah, just Sundays? Every week. Sunday wow. afternoon. Yeah, that was it. So, yeah, it was, um, and, and they were making okay money for a while. Um, yeah, for a while they were making some good money and we were going on family holidays and stuff like this. But the beginning part of setting it up was difficult. And then um, they ended up breaking up and the, yeah, the, the fallout mm. from from them going there two separate ways was pretty intense and left my mom with, uh, with not much, not much left basically. Um, she then started or she then took over a cafe, um, and a similar story. She started it with, with a guy that she'd, she'd been seeing for say two years or something like this. Um, and I really warned her, mom, <laughs> are you really doing this again? Um, but, but she did, and, and that landed, in, landed her in a lot of debt. So again, they, those two broke up. Um, my mom had been struggling, struggling with money before that. And then with, with him leaving and, and leaving my mom with, with the cafe that, that was not turning over more than she was spending on it, she was just getting more and more into debt and eventually had to sell and yeah nearly lost a house so those experiences and exposures to um, running a business and being self-employed really did not inspire me at all to to try anything like that and 
I, I really didn't mind the the kind of nine to five lifestyle once I got used to it, once I started that job. Um, I was quite happy to turn up for work, work my hours, put put in effort. Um, I was always I always wanted to give my best, but at the end of the day, I went home and I didn't have to think about it, which for me was a, a big change from studying, especially at university where I was really, really struggling with the with the studying. I found it incredibly hard. I always had this guilt that I should be studying more. Um, yeah, and, and it was kind of a never ending thing of, of studying. So getting into that nine to five lifestyle actually was a nice change for me. Um, so yeah, those two things kind of just made me think, no, you know what, I, I don't mind being employed and, and running a business is not something I was ever interested in. Do you think with your mother, it was more a case of the relationship aspect being problematic for the business, the running of the business and the eventual downfall? Do you th was there anything, do you think you learned from that, that she could have done better maybe, or maybe things that you learned from that situation that have, you know, now you've learned not to do that in the running of your own business? Yeah, I think, I think going into business with, with a partner is always going to be very tricky. And I think, yeah, anyone should think very carefully about whether it's right for them. My mom, uh, she, she didn't really make, you know, conscious decisions of whether it was the right thing to do either times. It was more, both, both times, it was more of a necessity than, mm. than a conscious good choice. Um, she she had been a single mom for for a lot of my childhood and and hadn't been able to be employed you know she had to stay home and look after look after the kids um and, and work kind of kind of part-time jobs sometimes but she she never liked the idea of a nine-to-five job that was never something that she was interested in she doesn't like people but she doesn't have qualifications so in her mind, her her job options were working in Tesco, and and that is not something that interested her at all. Um, so I, I guess she always thought that running her own business was her only option because she wasn't employable. Uh, and, and yeah, so so she she never went into either of those things with with a passion for business or serving people or anything like that. And in the cafe in particular, she wasn't even good at cooking. So it was, it was never <laughs> going to work. It was never going to work. <laughs> how, did, how did she overcome? Because <laughs> I mean, working for working in a news agent's cafe, I mean, it's all about your customer. I mean, any business is about customers, but especially in those fields, because especially with, it's, it's all about service, isn't it? And, and building a rapport and getting regular customers. Like how, how did she overcome that? Yeah. I mean, in the case of the newsagent, uh, my stepdad, her partner at the time, he was a very people person. So he uh, enjoyed yeah. the interaction with the customers. And my mum could, I guess she could put on a front enough that, that she, you know, she was, she was never rude to the people. Mm. Um, and, and often, you know, she would, as, as a teenage girl, I enjoyed hearing her stories of the local gossip from the, from the people that were coming in and sharing their life stories with her, which, which happened a lot, actually. Mm. Um, it, ha it happened a lot 
Um, and the, the area that we were living in was a lot of old people um, who, you know, th- they just want to talk to anyone. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I can relate to that. My my dad's a business owner, and um, when he was younger, because um, I, I learned about him, he he's actually a very shy man, and um, but he always appeared to be like very bubbly and you know like talkative, and he is that person. But um, you know, I think when he's comfortable, uh, and you know, you had this perception of your parents, what they show you, but then as you get older, you realize how they they really are you know they show more of themselves whatever um and it was very interesting for me to see how he from a business standpoint he was always this you know talkative bubbly guy but then on his own he's very quiet didn't want to talk back then i didn't understand it now i totally get it it's like he didn't want to talk he just wanted to just decompress just don't talk don't please it makes perfect sense now um and now all these years later he's still doing this business but he's when i asked him about his work now and does he still interact with the customers and stuff he said he's completely changed it and he's much more um just just focus on the work and that's it and you know he's changed it up a lot and obviously people change in time the way you approach businesses uh changes in time and businesses themselves change but it's interesting um and i think for people that are maybe more introverted, it's a lot more difficult to to force that out of yourself or to bring that out of yourself. And yeah, it's not easy. I just even being a conversationist in general, um, for, for me, I feel like generally speaking, I'm fairly good at it, but not always. Sometimes, it, you know, you, you just find yourself in, there, there are these amazing people that can make conversations with ever, anyone. And I think that's incredible. I wish I could do that. But it's yeah, it's not 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 for everyone, you know. So, <laughs> and I think when, when you're a bit more introverted, it's it's a lot harder to to do that because you know you do it when you feel comfortable. If you don't feel comfortable, you, you might not say a word, and that's often where I sit on that. And but as you said before, like with business, you you kind of just have to do things. You have to make things happen. You know, you said how she's she's um she was you know head of your family and stuff and she she just had to do these things not necessarily because it's a good business idea but just because it's like well this is what we need to bring money in to help our family to make things happen you know and uh, bringing it back to kind of this idea of having to do things um i really relate to you in terms of this concept of you know not wanting to do something and then ending up doing it because it was the same for me i'm i'm freelance too and I never wanted to be freelance. I was actually scared of the idea. I thought like, oh no, that's, you know, there's no job security in that, which in retrospect is hilarious because, and for anyone listening who's never, well, I was going to say, I don't know what I was going to say, who's, who's never worked. I don't, uh, but for anyone listening who maybe is, is scared about going into freelancing or self-employment, um, I honestly can say that I don't think there's much difference between that and, standard employment as far as job security is concerned there's more of a risk it's harder to find work and it's you have to put more time and effort into getting the work but you're in control you know you're not going to get fired you know you might lose contracts but you'll find more but no one's going to like randomly just fire you you know or give you your two weeks notice or whatever it's not going to happen and 
it's very liberating i think being being freelance and being self-employed it's it gives you a lot more control over things and i, I think people get scared by the idea of of like not being able to find work and stuff but i think again that comes down to things like budgeting and being clever with your money it's like okay maybe i get a, a project or in your case you get like several clients and you make that last a certain amount of time like monetarily speaking um it's, it's just a lot i think a lot more planning and as you said like a different way of approaching things um and adjusting and you know i, I get people's understanding of like okay it's a nine to five or it's a standard job like there's security in that but the security lasts only as long as your relationship with your employer uh, is good. And, you know, I've, I've worked in companies before where seemingly the relationships were good, but that didn't matter. And the person still gets fired because business is a business. You know, if the things aren't doing well, um, then, you know, you, you <laughs> the first thing is always to let staff go. I've noticed this. It's not always necessarily the right decision. I think, you know, if you're losing money, the last thing you should do is start cutting staff unless you've got, I don't know, people on your payroll that you don't need to have on your payroll. I understand that, but um, <laughs> people working for you make your business happen. So cutting your employees just seems a bit counterproductive, but I don't know. That's just me. Um, what would you say were kind of like the major things you had to shift as far as your mindset and approach when going from, say more standard employment to self-employed freelance so i'm definitely still working through the mindset of it um definitely i think because it had been quite a long time between quitting my job in marketing to starting or trying to start a business it had been it'd been two years so i've been pretty much traveling around hopping from place to place um volunteering in different locations so in terms of the shift um, from kind of the, the regular life with a nine to five job to to freelance, it was a it wasn't like a direct shift. There was a long period of time where where I was in charge of my own time. I was um, fairly free to go where I wanted, do what I want. You know, I was I was volunteering um, at certain times, but the the way that Workaway works is the maximum amount of time you're working in a week or volunteering in a week is 25 hours. So you've got a lot of free time to do what you want. And a lot of the hosts are very flexible in terms of, oh, if you want to, you know, do all of your hours in four days, that's fine. Or if you want to, you know, do a couple of hours every day, that's also fine. Um, so if, yeah, if you're lucky, you really do have a lot of flexibility. So that was definitely something I was already in the mindset of, of of that flexibility um but then there was a lot of work that i'm still having to do around routines and habits and making sure i'm getting up on time and actually doing work and not waking up late and then you know working all evening because i'm freaking out that i haven't done as much mm. as i wanted um so the the discipline has definitely been something that i'm still working on um and that's also one of the reasons why I didn't really ever think I would be good at having my own business because kind of since university my discipline to do things on my own like just fell off a cliff like I was always a very good kid I was very self-motivated to study 
all throughout my like GCSEs, throughout my A-levels. And then when I got to university, it was so difficult and it was such a shock and I really didn't want to do it. And I was struggling with my mental health a lot, especially in my final year. My motivation just completely died. And I just don't think I've ever really got it back to, to where it was when I was kind of a teenager. So that's been a big thing. And, and also that, that mindset shift towards, I do deserve to get clients. I am good enough to tell or to kind of, you know, guide people. I am the right person to be doing this. Um, yeah, also a lot of work on that too. When you were at university, w w would you say that the, the way it was set up kind of pushed you to feel like that? Or was there like more personal reasons driving that as well? Or combination of everything? Um, the only reason I ask is that I had similar frustrations when I was at university too. Um, like I understood the concept of independent study and that you would have to it would be a shift from a level and you'd have to kind of be responsible but um it really did feel like uh we were just teaching ourselves uh the degree and it actually started to piss me off to be honest i was paying all this money and like i'll give you an example um as one course that we had where uh <laughs> <laughs> so you know like how they make you buy all the textbooks at the beginning of the term but then you don't actually necessarily need them um because they tell you that you know you have to buy all these textbooks and that they're going to be used uh, throughout the seminars and stuff like that what they don't tell you is that there is a bunch of different um books available in the library that you can rent for free um you can also just rent you know borrow your friend's books photocopy the stuff you need before the seminar you know, they won't tell you that. They'll just be like, no, you need to buy these £70 a pop books. Uh, anyway. So we get this particular subject, um, which was not, it was a foundational one. It wasn't even one that I chose. It was just one we had to do. And uh, we get the textbook. I had the textbook and I read through most of it. And I, you know, I'd made a good effort to actually bother with it and try. And uh, the first couple of lectures that we had, in this particular field we were like hang on that sounds familiar and of course so you know most of the lecturers wouldn't be like this they would actually talk to you interact the good ones would interact with you those were the ones worth going to but many of them would either do one or two things either one talk nonsense for like 50 minutes which might have some connection to what you were doing but mostly didn't and it was just one big ego trip for 50 minutes that just didn't I don't know it just it served no purpose or number two they would read word for word verbatim from a powerpoint paying nine grand a term for this guys nine grand plus other fees in this particular <laughs> lecture not only did the lecturer have the powerpoint on the back board but she was also reading from her book that she wrote <laughs> this textbook word for word so basically it was just a glorified reading session where you could just sit and listen to this teacher read her own book for 50 minutes and then she had the audacity to complain when we wouldn't turn up to the lectures which by all intents and purposes was a waste of time <laughs> like you can't and you can't you can't just no one can justify it to me that that was not a waste of time so i i 
I and most of my year just stopped bothering and going to those lectures. We went to every single seminar. Seminars, invaluable. But those lectures, absolutely pointless. But that was served some of my frustrations. Other things included just, you know, getting marks back late, you know, teachers not giving you enough um, direction as far as where to go. But what were the, the key problems you were facing? Like, why were you struggling? And um, what were the problems for you? Yeah, so for me, I'm, I'm going to assume that maybe you studied a humanities kind of a subject based on what you're talking about. Yeah, I, did, right? I did business management with marketing. Um, right, okay. So that's me. Okay, yeah, so I've had that experience a lot where the lectures are, are pretty pointless and are, yeah, talking about some random thing that the lecturer wants to talk about, which you don't <laughs> find relevant or are just reading from their own books or whatever. Um, my experience with actuarial science being almost exclusively maths with a little bit of finance, um, a little bit of finance and economics thrown in, but really not a huge amount at all. It was, it was not, um, it was not the, the kind of same where, you know, the lecturer would go off on some random rant, you know, they need to cover the maths of it and they do. Um, but, and we also had a lot of contact time. So compared to a lot of people in my university that I was in halls with or friends with that were doing um, history or international relations or something like that, I had almost double the contact time compared to them. So I was in more lectures, I was in more classes um, and, and stuff like that. And, and it was, some of the lecturers were good. Um, most of them were not. Most of them really were not. There, mm. there, was, there was one in particular that I had for, for two different modules, um, one in second year and one in third year. And he was an incredibly smart guy, incredibly smart. But that made him a terrible, terrible lecturer and teacher. Just, he just, he was so smart that he couldn't explain it in a way that was accessible to someone who wasn't on his level. And obviously mm. we're learning these things for the first time. We are not on his level. Um, and, and it was so bad. And I guess he had had so much bad feedback over the years um, that his solution, instead of improving his teaching, maybe, he basically told you all the answers to the exam before the exam. So in the final lecture, you needed to make sure that you went to that one and he would heavily hint um which past paper questions you should focus your revision on and that was his solution basically was to just tell you what was going to be in the exam and and hope for the best but but even then i was struggling even even in my third year course with him i still nearly failed that that class because i just didn't understand so the idea of memorizing the solution to a similar problem it just didn't translate for me because I could look at the, you know, the example that I was supposed to be looking at, but I wouldn't understand how to get to the different steps. So when I'm applying it to something that's very similar, I can't, I can't make those steps. I can't recreate the steps because I just don't understand the links between them. Um, and, and yeah, so the difficulty of the course was very hard, especially 
especially given the people I was studying with. So mm. on my course on actuarial science, there were 60 people in my year. And we studied a lot with people in um, business, mathematics, or, or something like that. Um, and some economics people in first and second year and stuff. But on my actual course, there were 60 people and I was the only white person on my course. So everyone else was from China, was from Malaysia, was from Singapore. And they were coming into the first year at a much higher level and knowledge of maths than I was because they'd already done it back in, you know, back in their home countries. So the first year for almost everyone else was revision. Whereas for me, everything was new and everything was like, you know, I was needing to learn it. Whereas oh, everyone wow. else, they were yeah. like, yeah, we did this two years ago already. Like <laughs> what? Um, yeah, so I was at a real disadvantage and being someone who had been told throughout my school career that I was a smart kid and that I was really intelligent and, um, you know, that I was going to places and all this stuff and top marks in the class often to, to then go into that kind of environment where I was dead last was very, very, very tough. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was very tough. I had a similar experience as well. Like I remember sitting down for my very, in, okay, first year for business management and marketing, it's, it's foundation. So as you said, like you, you have like mixed classes, people from lots of different subjects. And um, I think you have, at least at my uni, you had until the beginning of second year to change your course. So you could still change your course if you wanted to. So you'd have lots of different foundation um, topics and, some of them, I, th I, I, I think there was only one marketing module in my first year, which was just blew my mind. Everything else was like statistics and accounting and God knows what else. And I, I remember sitting down for my first lecture and it was quantitative, quantitative statistics or something like that. And I just remember going, oh my God, I've made a drastic error. This isn't what I thought I'd be studying. What is this? Oh my God. I've, oh my God. You know, and then the funny thing was the next lesson, something totally different, was the complete flip 180. It was stuff I'd done at like first level GCSE business that we'd done like a million times. So it was either way too easy or way too hard. There was like no in between. And this, yeah, and you're, yeah, there's always going to be students that like levels above you that have studied a, a foundation year somewhere else, or particularly European students, they seem to, and Asian students have like better, I think better education system, maybe that's why I think there's the baccalaureate in, in Europe. Um, I've always, I've always thought the, the UK education system is, is pretty flawed. And most people say that in this, this country as well, like, I don't know. GCSEs, for example, very, very flawed system. Um, basically, I don't know. I think, I think the biggest problem with it is probably just how it's, how it's carried out, you know, like, I mean, and even universities the same, really, you know, you do several years of study to then do your final exams, which are just purely based on memory of a few things. It doesn't really, it's, it's, if your course is more heavily coursework weighted, it's it's better, I think, because you know your your exams should still count for something. But 
at the same time, I was just thinking general exams is kind of a flawed concept because it is just a memory thing. It has nothing to do with like actual learning. Like you, you can learn a great deal, but like, how can you be expected to memorize everything? And they, and they'll tell you as well, like what you said about, oh, well, you have to pick and choose what you revise. And it's like, well, that's silly. If, if, the, if the goal is to learn as much as you can or, you know, to become a master in this area, then why are you then having to pick and choose and essentially gamble what you study? Because <laughs> that's what it was like for us in third year. It was just gambling and like, oh, well, hopefully this pays off. And luckily it did, but it felt like a big gamble, the whole thing. I just, I don't know. I feel, I feel for anyone going to university now as well. I, I feel like it's, I think the biggest disillusion for me, call a life crisis moment, if you like, was was realizing the whole thing is structured towards just kind of taking your money, really, in every shape and form. Um, even some of the lecturers said that. I remember we had a one lecturer who literally just turned around and said, like, you are essentially customers, consumers. You know, and every time you give feedback, that drives the seemingly the quality of things or it should do and to be fair our uni did actually take that stuff on board and you would see changes in fairness so that was a positive but i don't know i I feel like for instance in this most recent um pandemic you got to see what a lot of universities attitudes are really like so so many people had to do coursework also um zoom cool courses and had like no contact hours or anything which is understandable given what was happening in the world but they were still expected to pay full you know 9k a year which i think is travesty to be honest i can't believe they were charged all that money for nothing like what kind of experience is that you when you you go to university you pay for everything and don't get me wrong i I know you can't avoid something like a once in a lifetime worldwide pandemic i understand that but at least give people their money back since they're not getting that full experience. Like they're literally just getting zoom calls, which I don't know. This seems like an injustice really. But uh, anyway, move it on, move it forward. Um, There's some some interesting themes that I I think I found either in your website or seen you write about online that I wanted to sort of briefly mention. Um, Talk us through the importance of self-development in your own words mm-hmm. okay um i think self-development is very very important i think it can take many forms and a lot of the stuff um that's traditionally self-help maybe especially if, if things are kind of looked at as self-help i don't really love at all um but but personal development for, for me and and what I think it should be ideally is just getting to know yourself better, opening up your mind a little bit, kind of knowing what you want, knowing who you are, knowing how you can get the most out of your life. And it can relate to mindset, it can relate to learning, it can relate to a few different things. Um, but but what I've learned is that it needs to be focused on action and not about only reflection. So when I was first starting out in my kind of personal development journey, I guess, I was doing a lot of reflection. I was reading a lot of self-development stuff. And then I was kind of 
beating myself up about, well, I know all this stuff now, but I'm, I'm still doing the same things. I'm still stuck in the same routines. I'm still stuck in the same mindset. Why can't I, why can't I do the things that I know I should be doing? So when you end up in that place, it can be really demotivating. You can really start beating yourself up and it can be counterproductive to stay in that kind of personal development space. If you're not also taking action, that action is really where you find the benefit. Um, and, and yeah, it should also, there's a fine line between personal growth and, and wanting to improve yourself because you're interested in that constant challenge and that constant kind of improvement, I guess. But, but it should be coming from a place where you're okay with who you are now and you accept who you are now so that you can keep on challenging yourself and keep growing rather than than trying to change yourself or trying to better yourself because you don't feel like who you are now is good enough so that's a really fine line as well that you should really be aware of um, and really something to consider how can one attempt to overcome the feeling of a lack of self-fulfillment Yeah, so I would say that kind of lack of self-fulfillment is one of the, like, the main causes of a quarter-life crisis or also, I guess, later in life, the, the midlife crisis. And, and I really think that getting to, getting to know your core values and starting to act in a way that aligns with them is, is pretty much the only way out of feeling like you're not fulfilled. You can, yeah, try and chase the success or the wealth or the fame or, or, or those superficial things. And it might work for a while, but I think eventually everyone who's chasing that will, will realize that they're still not fulfilled. And then, yeah, wherever you are in life, I would definitely recommend to really reflect on what you value, not what society values, not what you've been told you should value, not what your parents value, but what you really value. Mm. And then start making, at first you might need to be making some very small changes because big changes are scary and take time. But you can start making very small changes straight away. And then you can kind of work up to bigger changes if you still feel like you need to do that too if you're if you're like very far away from certain values yeah i totally agree with you um i thought a lot about this over the last couple of years as i've been moving into this period in my life because one thing i've neglected to mention earlier about myself is that um when i was having those quarter life crises moments the final one was me realizing okay i need to pursue this creative stuff and this is what I have to do in order to be happy <laughs> um, which is interesting when you come to you know because many everyone's different some people figure out what they want to do early in life and that's awesome some people well they have quarter life crises every time several times throughout their 20s and you know what there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing I think it's good to try a lot of different things and I don't believe that you ever have like wasted time i think the only time time is ever wasted is actually i guess yeah if you spend too long on the wrong things that you can view that as, as wasting but you have to look at who you are 
in the moment, you know, it's very easy to look back and be like, Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. And it's like, well, you just weren't that person yet. You didn't, you know, like I know of myself, I didn't have the strength to, um, to make those decisions when I was younger. Cause I was just scared of everything, you know, scared that things wouldn't work out, you know, scared. For instance, we spoke about working for yourself. I was terrified at that idea. I thought like, Oh, how would you ever find money? And now there's like a million ways to do that. Um, and it's, I don't know. I think that, as you said, like you have to have a clear understanding of what it is you're looking for. Like for me, I want to do all these creative things and I want that to be what I do for a living. You know, I don't want to do the nine to five anymore. I don't want to be beholden to companies because I am, I am freelance, but I'm still beholden to, to a certain extent, like several days a week working nine to five, doing something that is okay. I'm glad it pays. I'm glad that it's not stuff I had, I used to have to do. And it's good to reassess that once in a while and look at where you were and where you are, but I'm still not where I want to be personally. Um, but I'm taking those small steps to get there. But um, I always keep in mind what you, what you said that, you know, you, you can't, it can't just be, Oh, I want to make this amount of money or, Oh, I want to be famous or whatever. Cause that stuff is is very soulless you know like sure you could make loads and loads of money but that's never ending how much is enough like i mean you know i'm sure many rich people they get to a certain point where they have everything they want and it's like well what now you know so you've got to work towards projects build things right um that's one of the things i love about this podcast is that like it's building upon episode upon episode upon episode it's like I don't know. It just keeps growing, keeps going. And to me, that feels very fulfilling in a way. And, you know, anyone that's listening gets something from it every time. So that feels worthwhile. And when you talk about things like fame, I mean, we've had that expression, 15 minutes of fame. I've seen that time and time again. It's really interesting to me. It's, it, it, anyone who's actually listening to this, if you ever get a time, pay attention to to some of those celebrities that are i guess like z list if you want to call it that people that are at the very bottom of the totem pole and i'm not try, trying to say that to be disparaging i'm just saying uh, you know there is like a hierarchy if you like people that are at the upper echelon and and a lot of that has to do with just like visibility i think and projects rather than it's not i mean i personally could care less if someone's like a lister or you know Z list it doesn't matter to me like every human being's worth is the same like everyone's equal you know um unfortunately not everyone sees it that way but that's my personal perception you know um i just think it's good if, if you have work and, and your work makes people happy great you know live, and you're not hurting anyone live life how you want to live it right but the ones that are at the bottom that I really try actually some of them at the top do it as well actually so it doesn't really matter if you're at the bottom or the top there, there are some people famous people that like have to be famous so there are a lot of famous people that are like you know they just happen to be famous or you know they just keep being in the public consciousness you know whatever uh, some people that will perpetually be famous because they had a profound impact like I don't know maybe Will Smith or Daniel Radcliffe because at one time they were this character or this person and you know they'll forever be known right but then you got a lot of people that you know they come and they go you know you find yourself going like oh 
where did this person go? You know, and sometimes people move on. Sometimes people just move out of the public eye and they, and they carry on their life and something else. But there are these certain people that like continuously go after it. They have to be, they have to be on every single panel show. They have to be on every single possible show that's out there. They have to be seen. And I don't understand that. I would guess maybe it's, they need attention. I guess if you had to like make a really logic, logical, like a really basic observation, like, oh, maybe it's that. That's what it seems like. But I just think it's very thankless because especially these days, because people's attention spans are so short these days, like maybe 50, 60 years ago, celebrities were like really amazing these days. I don't know. I mean, I think there are, there are people that are genuinely revered and respected and, and loved and cherished and stuff. But like other people, like especially online content creators, it seems very thankless. It's like, okay, you're in the, the public consciousness for a moment and then suddenly you're not relevant anymore. And then there's this term of relevance, which I just think is a really like harsh concept. Like you're always relevant. Like, what do you mean? They're not relevant anymore. Like who decides that? Like, I guess you could say, oh, the internet decides that people decide that, but I don't know, man. I guess it goes back to the point. I digress a little bit. It goes back to the point of, of what you value. Like for me, I, I don't really see money or fame as being particularly important. Um, I think financial freedom is an excellent thing to have, but more because of what it allows you to do rather than what it allows you to buy. You know, I think it's being able to, for example, travel the world, have experiences, create projects. Um, you know, you spoke of all the volunteer work that you've done, you know, imagine being able to set up your own foundations and your own projects and, and see them yourself and see how they help people. I mean, that's, that's the stuff that's worth investing in. I mean, I don't know. This is just my personal opinion, but um, yeah what you value is key in life isn't it it's anyway yeah. um, and I would say that normally the people who are chasing money who are chasing fame who are chasing relevancy and all that stuff I don't really think that anyone's true core values are those things it's just if if you don't know what you actually value those are the kind of go-to things because that's kind of, you know, what society deems as successful is being wealthy or being famous. Um, and there's that perception of power that comes with being wealthy or famous. And a lot of people are, yeah, are craving that because they don't know what they actually want. And most likely there's some kind of a, some kind of a need for acceptance or, power or or something that they didn't really have maybe as a child or or whatever um yeah, yeah I guess if, if something right. happened yeah. as a child where you're not seen as valuable or you're not um you feel powerless or any of those kind of things if you've had some trauma often that leads to people chasing things like wealth or power or fame um yeah because they're trying to prove to people that they are powerful and you know they are rich and they are someone who's good enough and and all of those things so that's like a really complex thing that 
that uh, I'm not completely qualified in or anything, but um, definitely something I've noticed. And if uh, you listen to the Diary of a CEO podcast, yeah. it's a very, very repetitive theme. The, the guests on there are very successful, often very wealthy, have started their own businesses a lot of the time. And the driving force that comes up again and again and again is because they didn't feel like they were good enough in some way and they wanted to prove to people that they were. And the way that our societies work is you prove that you're good enough by being successful, by being wealthy, by being famous. So, yeah, that ties into it a lot. I've noticed this, actually. There's, there's people that I know who've become successful who then kind of treated me a bit like nothing afterwards. And I just find that fascinating. Like, at first, it kind of annoyed me. But then I thought, you know what? That's, that's pretty telling. I'm glad I didn't work with this person because they've lost themselves in that and seemingly very quickly. And that's kind of scary in a way um, because, I don't know, I just see right through it. Like, I can care less if someone has, like, a Gucci bag or, you know, they're super famous. Like, who gives a shit? Like, really, like you still you still go to the toilet. You still have a mother and a father. You st- do you know what I mean? Like, you're still a human like. Fame, fame used to be like and I've said this on the show before, but it used to be this thing that like you were respect like hundreds of years ago. You would have been respected because you've changed things in a profound way. I don't know. You've invented something that changed people's lives or something like that. These days you can be famous for anything, you know. And it's, it really is like one minute you're everyone loves you, next minute no one cares, which arguably is worse than being hated. Apathy. I get I get that a lot these days, you know, sort of um, putting stuff out there and just nothing, you know. Like I recently um, made a post about um, potentially doing a show where I would like reflect because I'm close to two years of the podcast. I was like, oh great. I'll, I'll I'll throw this out there and I tried to do this a year ago didn't work then tried to do it again this year didn't work I was like oh send in your questions and I'll answer anything about the podcast and da, 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 nothing one person got back to me and um shout out to her Vilma what's going on um and no one else got back and and I really pushed it and I, I promoted it everywhere and and then you know I kind of really I didn't take it too harshly because I was like you know what it's just from the few people that do support me maybe they didn't see it maybe they're busy you know whatever it's it's fine um but there's like i don't know i got like a thousand people following me on instagram not one of them saw that or engaged with that or whatever because people don't care people don't care unless they're connected with you on a major level if they're connected with you you know they'll always interact with you and that that is amazing that's for those few people that are engaged in what i do it blows my mind every time and I, I make sure that everything I create is as good as it possibly can be for those people. Cause I know that they're going to listen to this and they'll get something out of this and that's what matters. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of just fakeness among people. And as you said, as you said before, like I, I don't think it, you should ever do anything in life to try and prove to people that you're better than you are. Like you are good enough as you are, you know, you said it earlier, like, if you, if you want to do something to, to better yourself, to, to become better, you know, great, do it. 
you know if it makes you happy and you're improving yourself go for it but don't do it because you're trying to prove something to someone else like that's always the wrong because then they're never going to give you the gratification you want you you could become super successful have a FTSE 100 business and they'll still probably just bullshit you or be like oh you don't deserve it or whatever like you know like (laughs) you can't win (laughs) excuse me so you might as well do things for yourself and for your own happiness and um if people want to come along for the ride and, and support you in that excellent if they don't that's okay you know but it's as you said it's got to be about your own values and and believing in something and pushing that forward um got a final few questions for you what's the best advice you've ever received i don't know to be honest i haven't had that much advice from from the people in my kind of real life um recently i've been i've been thinking about the kind of mention of mentors and the importance of that in kind of developing a business for example and I'm always like how do people find these mentors I've I've never had had someone in my life who was kind of old and wise and wanted to help me um and a lot of the advice I got from my family was was looking back very unhelpful actually um the messages I got as a kid was you're the clever one of the family like all of my family on both sides were were not um, rich by any by any standards at all and struggled a lot in their life and didn't enjoy working so their kind of advice and message to me throughout my childhood was oh wow you're actually smart you could get a well-paying job and you could be rich and, and you could actually be happy you know and and it doesn't really matter if you like your job because nobody likes their job but if you're earning good money you know you're one up on the rest of us um which I bought into for a long time until I got to university and realized, nope, I, I'm, I'm getting out of it before I even start. The, the idea of, yeah, finance industry or a well-paying stressful job just, I, I already knew before I even experienced the working world that that, that wasn't going to go well for me. Um, but in terms of good advice, I, I guess the advice to to evaluate your values, um, that was a, a big thing in the first ever personal development book I read, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson, recommend it to everyone all the time. Um, there's a big focus on on giving a fuck about the right things and knowing your values and and that really sparked my my journey, I guess. One of the things you said there as well, I I got a because I neglected to mention it earlier. Um, you said about how you were looking around at university and it's like, oh, these, I'm nothing like these people. I had the exact same thing. I, I was a particular lecturer and I was dressed in, at the beginning of the year, I started dressing like in a suit like everyone else and not necessarily always, but I just liked it. It was fun. And then one day, you know, you get three months in and, you know, it's cold and you don't want to, you just want to be comfortable. And I still see all these people dressed in suits and I just looked around one day and I was like I am nothing like these people like I don't want to do this and then go in corporate for three five years and wear the suits and big business and like it's just not me I thought it was I thought it might make me happy but didn't and I have experienced a little bit of it and I just 
I don't like it. I can't connect with it at all. And I saw people from that year go into those fields and they became exactly what I thought they would become. And they're still those people. And it's all very fake. It's all very, you know, let's all meet up at a networking event and bullshit each other. Like, oh, I do this. And, da, 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 da. and it's like, can't you just be real? Like, just re- like, because there are, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of people in business that are real and will give it to you straight and just say it how it is. And those people are brilliant because they're not time wasters. You know, like, and I don't do that either. Like, I'm just like, I'll say it how it is. And sometimes that comes across a bit blunt and people might not like it, but it's like, you know what? I'm not going to waste people's time. I'm not going to put a pretty bow on something. I'll say it how it is. And we can, and we can do business together and we can get somewhere with this. We can work on this, you know? Um, I don't understand where that mindset comes from. And it's, it's prevalent in all those different fields of business, accounting, marketing, international business, whatever, like this, all the same. And I don't know, maybe it's a keeping up appearances thing, but it's, yeah, it, it does very much feel like, oh, you're either with us or against us kind of mindset. And it's like, and, and, and that's the thing as well. I'll add to this as well. Um, there is a point to this. When I got into those industries, there's nothing like that. You could do that. That's one option. But there's also 15 other options that were more preferable that they never taught us about at uni. Like if I'd have known, for instance, that I could do like copywriting, SEO, um, fr- be a freelance writer from home. Like right now I do freelance sales, recruitment, etc. That's my biggest client. And they never told me I could do that at uni. They never said that was a possibility. I found that myself. Because, and why did they not tell me at university? Because they're trying to sell you a product and an idea. They want you to go in that direction. You know, they want you to do their masters and then, you know, maybe do the doctorate and get as much as they can from you. And if they can't, all right, cool. Work for these companies that are affiliated with us. You know, it's all connected. It's, uh, it's not all doom and gloom guys, but I'm just, if you are listening and you're unaware, especially if you're thinking about going to university, think it through, do your research. It's not the only way just so uh i would say i would say it's not the only way um and i wish that i kind of had my eyes opened a little bit more to to other routes um and especially now especially now um there's apprenticeships and direct Mm -hmm. schemes into a lot of you know big financial companies even that you can leave you uh leave your a-levels and go straight to an internship and yeah there's definitely other options and if university is is the thing for you and you decide that's what you want to do great but yeah i definitely would recommend to go to go in a direction where you're informed about what it's going to be and what the benefits going to be and and all of that stuff for sure 100 percent. what's the biggest life lesson you've ever learned I think it's one that I'm I'm kind of currently learning I guess um the kind of idea that you you can't run from your problems um and that that you need to just you need to face them eventually and better sooner than later if if at all possible um I think the experience of me being away from from home for so long for those two years traveling recently um, you know, I, 
I thought I left in a good place, you know, I, I had an amazing kind of summer and then tiny bit of winter um, before, before leaving my job and going traveling where I'd broken up with my, with my ex and I'd been, I'd been in that really, really toxic and eventually abusive relationship for, for far too long and had a great, great summer, saw my friends all the time, had loads of fun, dated for fun a little bit. Um, I felt like I was in a really good place. Um, and then I left the job, went traveling and I was, yeah, feeling like curious and excited and all of these things. And then I came back, when I came back home to my family about 18 months later, um, after I left and the pandemic had happened and lots had happened. And um, I came back and realized, oh, the these problems with my family mostly um, are still there. You know, mm-hmm. it's been 18 months and okay, I haven't had to think about these family problems for a good while because I haven't been seeing my family. But when I came back, all that stuff was there and and it really made me realize that maybe I had been running away from some things that I didn't actually realize I was still running from. And and that they need to be faced and it's not always possible to face things straight away especially if things are traumatic um, and I'm currently going through therapy at the moment and there's been a big emphasis on you know some of these things have been in the deep freezer for a long time and they've been there because you've been trying to protect yourself you know you weren't ready to face it but but as soon as you feel ready you really, really should should face those things because they don't go away on their own. And and yeah, problems just kind of grow bigger and scarier the longer you leave them, I guess. And and you don't need to face them alone. You can get support to face things if things are big and scary and, and you don't know how to face them. For example, like the stuff that I'm dealing with, I had tried on my own many times journaling things out and reflecting on things and you know writing letters to people and not sending them all those kind of recommended things but but in the end in the end sometimes you just need someone else to help you very eloquently put thank you uh as we draw things to a close do you have any upcoming projects or final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners yeah, so like I briefly mentioned, I have created this six-week program, um, Crisis to Curiosity, which has a big focus on figuring out your values, creating a life vision based on those values, which is not as scary as figuring out your life purpose, but just figuring out ways that you can live by your values um, and making kind of small changes. And yeah, I've got a couple of people trying it out at the moment, so I'm going to be getting feedback from them and perfecting it as much as I can and um, if anyone is interested I would I would love to hear from you I also have an Instagram which has been a tiny bit quiet recently but I'm I'm looking to really focus on again um, now which has a lot of posts all to do with quarter-life crisis and stuff like that and and on my website I've got a bunch of free resources as well to help you out on that initial kind of reflection if you're especially if you're just feeling like is this it? If you're worried like, oh God, 40 years of this, and then I get to retire and I'm going to be too old to do anything. If you're in that kind of a space, then yeah, figure things out, 
think about what you want and who you are and and don't be don't be afraid to be curious and to try things and to fail and yeah there's no shame in in not knowing what you want to do there's no shame in not knowing who you are or what you want or any of these things everyone has to figure them out some people figure them out in childhood and they're really lucky and they know what they want to do and they have that easy um ride into adulthood where they're where they're sure they know what they're doing but even if you see people that look like that they might not really be that <laughs> they might also underneath be be wondering what's going on so definitely don't compare yourself to anyone else who seems like they know what they're doing because nobody knows what they're doing at any age so <laughs> i love the truth well yeah. thank you very much for being on the show katie it's been an absolute pleasure and um yeah wish you all the best yeah thanks for having me i've had a really nice chat thanks excellent and um to all the listeners of the christian read podcast as always be safe be well and i'll see you in the next one